You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Um, as we get started, thank you for that, Clint. Thank you for praying for me. I know others are pray each Sunday for the message that God wants our community to hear, to lay down some expectations. At some point, I'm going to break down. Adam, thank you for getting that started with the last song. <laughs> Anyways, Molly and I can't sing that song without crying. It's a... Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I hope that I can bring God's word in a way that edifies us as a body and that can lead us forward in this year ahead of us. The chapter that we have this morning is Joshua 11. Um, so this is a continuation of what God is doing with his people. Uh, it's the plans that are unfolding. They've been going on for several years at this point. We're gonna see that it's a culmination of a, of a significant part of what God was doing with his people in this place, in this time. Uh, that story of Joshua coming from Moses is, as we all know, seated within the larger story, God's story, of what he's doing on earth in time, in history. And so we are the ones further down the line. So when we read these passages, when we read these chapters, and we read these stories, we have to make that connection that this is part of our story in history. This is God's story, his sovereign plan unfolding over time on earth. This was a significant time for the people of God, Israel. They were moving into the promises, moving into the land, moving into what God had ordained from them early, early on. And so in Joshua 11, we're going to start the, the first five verses, one to five. Um, this chapter begins by setting the stage for what's ahead, specifically what God's people are coming up against. The leader of the opposition is Jabin, king of Hazor, which was most likely the largest city in the region, and it was a stronghold for the opposition. This king, he calls the other kings from north, south, east, and west to join him in fighting against God's people. So in verses 4 and 5 we read, And they came out with all their troops, a great horde in number, like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Miram, to fight against Israel. Now, one of the things that in this particular chapter, the writer is spending a significant amount of, of verses detailing the opposition, detailing what they're up against. And as we look at this, we actually are seeing something here, and, and that's, it's a pattern that we've seen throughout the conquest of what God is doing as he leads his people. And it's the importance of understanding who or what is coming against God's people and his plans. Moses, he sent out the 12 spies very early on. 
We know Joshua and Caleb were two of those that had faith in that time. Joshua sends two spies into Jericho. You later have those who are finding out here in, about what, who was coming against the Gibeonites. And then here, it becomes aware through the network that Joshua has and, his, and the, the ones that are fighting in this battle that these kings are coming against them. So they're understanding what's coming against them. And this, in, this, in this part of the thing, I think one of the things that God would want us to see in this is just a principle from this is that it doesn't change for us today. It's vital for us to understand what the opposition is. What is working against God's people and God's plans at this time in this place he has called us to? So I'll, read, I'll just read that question again. What is working against God's people and God's plans at this time in this place that he has called us to. For us today, we aren't marching against, or we're not marching out to war against horses and chariots. That's pretty clear. So what is our opposition? What is working against God's plans in our lives? We flip over to the New Testament, Paul gives us some insight when he's writing to the church in Corinth. He writes in chapter 10, 2 Corinthians 10, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And in Jesus, when describing himself as the good shepherd in John 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So we know that there's an enemy. We know that there's a thief. We know that there's an adversary. And that adversary, he schemes against us. He schemes against us personally. He schemes against us collectively in our families, in our communities, in our churches, against our culture, against the places we live in, our states, our countries, the nations of the world. He schemes against those who follow Jesus. So what do those schemes look like? What do they look like today in our time, in our lives? And this is where each of us has to take the time to spy out what is working against us as followers of Jesus. And I would encourage us that this is hard work. It's not easy. But I would encourage us to do the hard work of greater self-awareness in our lives, in our communities. Finding out, identifying, naming what opposes God's plans in our lives. Because they're there. Sometimes they're obvious. Sometimes they're not so obvious. 
And each of you maybe have certain things that could come to mind. You know, these could be habits. They could be relationships. They could be addictions. They could be wrong beliefs. They could be shifts in values in our society. Whatever it is, the first step to victory is identifying it. And it can be hard, but it's worth it. Identifying these things is something that we do both individually and collectively as a community. And I've put a few questions here just to try to move from a, a talking about it to actually reflection. And these are, these are things that we can go back to later on. One of them would be, what is stealing my attention away from God? I know one of them for me is that little screen that's in my pocket right here. That sometimes it's the first thing you turn to, right? Another one, what is bringing division to my relationships with a spouse, family member, or a brother or sister in Christ? What or who discourages me, leaves me depressed, and kills my joy? What influences are causing my kids to move away from biblical values? What compromises are being made in our culture and society that erodes the foundation of the family. In Joshua's time, there were kings with horses and chariots and it says that they were like the sand of the seashore. To put it simply, what the writer is, is capturing here is that the opposition is overwhelming. That it seems impossible. And for us today, we, are, we aren't facing a multitude of horses and chariots but we are facing countless oppositions that are overwhelming at times. So at this moment, I want to take just a moment, and I'm sorry, I'm, I bring this with a heavy heart. I bring it with like, wow, okay, thank you for that. That was a great Sunday morning. Um, this is just what God gave me for this morning. Um, I want us to take a moment and pause. I want each of us to just pause and reflect on what is the opposition right now at this time for you that you need victory over this year. So just take a moment and listen, and then we'll continue.
Whatever that is, whatever's coming to your mind, write it down. Think about someone you can share it with. Think about who you can journey with together in finding victory in those areas. And continue to do the hard work of identifying what is coming against you and God's plans in your life. So now let's move on. The chapter continues from overwhelming opposition to reassuring faith and confidence in God's help and his sovereign plan. We pick up in verse six, it says, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give, I will give over all of them slain to Israel. So we keep we keep seeing these words from the Lord in the story of his people in this conquest. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Do not be discouraged. These are the words that Joshua had to return to time and time again as they faced overwhelming opposition. There is no replacement in our lives for the powerful faith-producing promises of God we have in his word. And that's why it's so important for us to spend our time abiding in his word that those promises can be recalled again and again because the opposition can be overwhelming, but his promises are what build the faith and give us hope. These, these words were actually earlier on in the story in Deuteronomy when God was preparing his people for what would come he gave them the law and one of the parts of giving them the law was actually how to go into battle this was a part of the law so in Deuteronomy 20 it says when you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own you shall not be afraid of them for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. These are the promises that they were taking with them. They received this long before they ever crossed over and entered the land and began this conquest. God knew that they would need his word his promises, in order to face the opposition that was coming. So what happens with that faith? That faith, it leads us to obedience while trusting in God's help. Verse 7 continues, So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Miram and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel, who struck them and chased them as far as Great Sidon and Misrephoth Mime and eastward as far as the Valley of Mizpah. And they struck them until he left none remaining. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to him. He hemstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. In this part of the passage, we watch Joshua as he leads the people in a in a a balance of trusting in God's all-sufficient help and 
well, so trusting in God's all-sufficient help for deliverance and the expectation to act with human responsibility. And it's a balance. It's not a one or the other. Each battle was different. Sometimes they would march around the walls and blow trumpets for seven days. Sometimes the sun would stand still. Sometimes they would chase them up through the valley to defeat them. Each circumstance is different, but in each circumstance, we as followers of God are called to both trust in his help, which is all sufficient. It doesn't need anything else, and yet there's an expectation of human responsibility. And that's what we see Joshua doing. It says, verse 7, that that Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them. There was an awareness of what the opposition was. There was a an awareness of God's sufficient help, and there was an awareness of their responsibility in those circumstances. This balance, it's sort of a dance. It's not the same. And each of us, we have to discern in each circumstance, what is it? When do I need to wait and trust? When do I need to act and follow? But it's always a trusting and obeying in some way in our lives, in the circumstances against the opposition. Whatever the circumstance is, whatever opposition we face, faith leads us to those two things. Faith is often like two sides of a coin. There's a faith that God can do anything at any moment. And then there's also, on the other side of that, there's a faith to keep persevering until it comes. Each circumstance calls for a faith to get through it. For us, we use discernment. We seek trusted counsel. We test and search out what is good and right and acceptable. We look for God's leading in each of our circumstances. And if you remember earlier in the story, when the, when the Israelites, when they were deceived, they were actually deceived by a people that weren't far away. And it says, because you did not take counsel with the Lord. So one of our greatest resources in understanding victory or finding victory is counsel from the Lord that we can get from each other. Again, we're not facing opposition alone, but we face it together in community with one another. So now the chapter continues by summarizing how Joshua followed the commands of God in conquering the entire region. In this way, the passage is presenting Joshua as an example of a model servant of God. In this last part, I'm not gonna, we're not going to read all the verses of this, this part of the chapter, but I want to try to highlight some of the, the key aspects of Joshua's obedience and the culmination of what God had asked them to do. So in verse 15, it picks up, it says, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Absolute obedience not picking and choosing what's convenient or comfortable. 
Joshua did as was commanded. And he left nothing undone. This is a hard one for us sometimes because the obedience isn't that bad when it's convenient or comfortable. But when it calls us to step out of that comfort place, comforting place, as it calls us to do something that's inconvenient, when it disrupts our schedules, when it causes us to confess something, to come and admit that we're wrong, when it causes some of the points of obedience that are really hard, those are the ones that God is really asking for us to press through, to face those with his help, and to be absolutely obedient to what he calls us to. Further down in 18, it says, Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. We read through these chapters and it can seem like just a flash. But most commentators, they believe that this was probably a seven-year period of conquest that was happening. There were some battles that may have been seven days, but there are also some that are seven years or 70 years. And whatever that battle or opposition is, God is asking and Joshua is demonstrating that there's a perseverance over time for those who serve the Lord. Now down in verse 21 and 22, it says, And Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. Only in Gaza and Gath and in Ashdod did some remain. Here we see Joshua overcoming the biggest obstacles and fears for the people. If you'll remember the Anakim, they were the ones that in, in the beginning, originally when Moses sent out those 12 spies, remember 10 of them came back. And they said, this was in Numbers, he says, the Anakim were the ones, he says, they made us feel like grasshoppers, is what those 10 said. This was the biggest obstacle. This was the thing that drove 10 to disbelief. But two, Caleb and Joshua had faith and were ready to go. It's, a, it's an amazing uh, completion of what, where they started with and what God was doing by using Joshua and the people to remove these giants from the land. And now in verse 23, so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. Those seven words, and the land had rest from war. Joshua did what the previous generation lacked the faith for. He brought the people to the promises of God, helping the next generation move forward in God's redemptive plan. In those words, this would be something, I was trying to think of how can I, what would capture this, but it would, if you've ever walked along some, someone who had cancer, and they get that report, and it, it says, 
there is no more. That, that kind of news, that kind of relief, that kind of new way forward, it, it's a, there's a significance to this. Remember, this, is, this was the first step. They had to conquer the land before they could inhabit it and inherit it and live in this land flowing with milk and honey. So the culmination of this and where Joshua had led the people through to this point and arriving here was a very, very significant step in God's plan for his people. One aspect of Joshua's life that we find earlier in the story, not in this chapter, but I felt like it was important for us to touch on and look at, uh, is his commitment to abiding with the Lord. And we don't often read this passage, or maybe we've skipped over it a, a time or two. Most of it's about Moses and his leadership. But in Exodus 33, there's this really interesting passage that gives us a glimpse into Joshua's life and his discipleship and Maturing. It says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Each of us have a place in abiding with the Lord. Sometimes we're in that tent. Sometimes we're standing at our tent door in our place and worshiping and abiding in the Lord from there. Some of us are called to stay and abide longer in that tent as Joshua did. But you can only imagine the preparation that was happening in Joshua, what God was doing in that tent of meeting, the faith, the courage, the belief, the vision, all that was needed for him to lead the people in this important conquest that would bring God's people to the next step of the redemptive plan. In closing, uh, as we look at the story of God's people at the time of Joshua, I invite us to look at two examples of obedience and stewardship that give us hope for wherever we find ourselves in our lives. The first is Joshua and Caleb. You have to think outside of this chapter and further back. They show us the example of the one who has received from the obedience of those before them. It's like an inheritance. And they continue in their lifetime and they make a way for the ones who follow. 
There's a stewardship of faithful obedience from those before them that they continue and make a way for those who follow. Some of us are blessed to have a heritage of faith, of obedience, and following Jesus. But the second one is Rahab. She was the beginning of her family's story. She was the breakthrough of faith. She was the breakthrough of faith and obedience that set a course for the ones that would follow her. Be better if I read this and try to just say it. I don't know everyone's story in this church. But I've heard some, and I hope to hear more. But whether you've received an inheritance of obedience, or you're the beginning. I pray that we collectively as a church would steward what God has given us to find victory against the opposition in our lives. That we would do that together, collectively as a community, and that we would fight for those breakthroughs, for those that are just beginning, and we would help those that are continuing to steward so that the generation after us is able to build on that and move forward. That we can leave a legacy of faith and obedience for those that come after us. One really simple way to do that is by coming alongside and hearing each other's stories, entering into those hard things that we're up against this year, coming alongside and fighting with one another for victory in our lives, being willing to seek to obey God even in the hardest things. One really specific thing that we can do as a community is pray for the 15 parents who are starting Families Count tonight. Most of these parents, after having sat and gone through the course with them last year, they're facing opposition <laughs> that most of us can't imagine, to be honest. But they are taking the first step of breakthrough for their families. And through volunteering, through praying, through supporting this ministry, our church gets the opportunity 
to help people begin something new for their families. So we invite you to, to pray for that, to come alongside those, and you can talk to Brittany about that to get more information. But as you are, wherever you are in your life, again, I'm sorry, this is a bit, I feel like it was a bit heavy and serious, but I just had to go with it. There is so much joy when we get to that point where it says, and there was no more war. And that's what we're aiming for. That's the victory that each of us needs in our lives. That's what we're aiming for together as a church, as life groups, as brothers and sisters sharing and fighting for victory together. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.